Welcome to another night of Warrior Reads. As always, make sure that you've handled anything before bed, that the room is dark, and that you're in a comfortable position. Remember, as you're listening, if you get excited by a story or interested, don't worry about it. Now is not the time for your mind to be racing. Now is the time for your mind to be resting. As always, we'll have copies of the recordings available on our website, as well as even the ability to order it should you want to in the morning. Now is the time for your reward for a good day lived or a reminder to be a warrior tomorrow. I'll give you about five seconds to clear your head and then we'll begin. Welcome, warriors. Tonight, our selection is from the book Stories of Old Greece by Emma M. Firth. Tonight we'll be going through the myth of Perseus. The myth of Perseus is a premier example of Greek heroism. It's got revenge and monsters and everything else you'd want from a classic hero's journey. With a lot of these stories, there are several different versions of the story that highlight different aspects of it. But tonight we're gonna go through the particular one highlighted by Emma M. Firth in her translation. This is a story about a guy with resolve that sticks to his path without deviation. Perseus is a man on a mission to exact revenge and win honor for his family and bring justice to his land. His story shows us that the gods favor warriors who behave with honor. It highlights that with man's courageous actions, honorable intentions, and ingenuity, warriors like you can overcome diabolical forces. As we dive into the tale, try to take a look at the parallels of the story and how it lines up with your life. So relax and enjoy. In the sunny vale of Argos, King Acretius ruled over a brave and warlike people, but he ruled not with justice and kindness, and he was therefore far from happy in spite of his fertile fields, rich vineyards, and numerous flocks and herds. After many a bitter quarrel with his brother Proteus, he had given up to him the poorer half of his kingdom and kept the best for himself. He had been very cruel to his beautiful daughter, Danae, who, with her little baby Perseus, had been shut up in a room with brass walls, and all this because of a solemn prophecy. Right now, the story is alluding to another version of the story, in which King Acretius was having issues conceiving a son of his own. Without any heir to his throne, he grew concerned and went to visit an oracle who told him that not only would he never have any sons, but that his grandchildren would kill him. Disturbed by this, he threw his daughter in a crate and threw her out to sea and told the gods that he didn't actually kill her. He just allowed her to follow her fate in the ocean. But let's take a look at how this version of the story goes. One day, a white-haired old man came to Acretius 
and told him that he would lose his life at the hands of Perseus. This made the king feel very bitter towards Danae and the innocent little child, his grandson. Danae's son was called the child of the bright morning. He was so fair and bright, though a tiny baby, that the people declared that he was the child of the gods. Another version of this story would tell you that he was the child of one of the gods, Zeus in particular. It seems like Zeus has an infidelity issue and goes around impregnating tons of mortals and creating lots of demigods. It seems to be a poor habit of Zeus. Nonetheless, that's what we have here. It's a recurring theme in Greek mythology. Anyway, let's get back into it. His sunny smile and winning ways brought no smiles of joy to the face of stern Acretius, who planned in his heart to send Danae and her child away, where he should never see them again. He dared not kill them, for he feared the terrible Arrhenius, who with scorpions and vipers scourged those who had offended the gods. So Acretius placed Danae and her children in a large chest and set it afloat on the restless waves of the sea. Poor Danae was as helpless as the child asleep in her dark bosom. She watched the shore until it became dark against the horizon, and then, through her tears, she saw only the blue sea and the bluer sky. She closed her eyes, and Morpheus, the god of dreams, sent her the sweet forgetfulness of sleep. So looking at this, King Acretius has just shown his level of valor and virtue and honor. He's double dipping. He's trying to solve the problem by nefarious means and in a roundabout way, telling the gods that he isn't trying to kill his daughter and grandson. He's just putting them out to sea so that they can enjoy their fate instead of doing the deed with a little bit more integrity as far as just straight up killing his daughter and grandchild. Not that the concept of doing any of this is honorable at all, but there would be a little bit more respect. However, this is something that we can really take a look at and examine. How many times do you lie to yourself and those around you? Maybe you've been on the receiving end of that, where someone you know has deluded themselves into thinking that they're doing the right thing when they really aren't and trying to hide it from you. Deception can corrupt a multitude of things, and it's definitely a difficult demon to slay on some people's paths as warriors. Let's continue reading along as we not only learn a little bit more about King Acretius's slow fall into folly, but Perseus's rise into heroism. All night under the starlit sky, the chest floated gently. The waves rocked it to and fro. It was the pleasant Balkan days and the winds were still. 
For in the peaceful season, no storms ruffle the bosom of the deep. In the morning, the chest grated against the shores of the island Seraphos. Danae awoke with a heart full of fear. She knew not whether kindness or cruelty awaited them beyond rugged rocks. It happened that a brave fisherman, Dictus, had come down to the seashore to cast his net. When he saw the strange boat and its helpless occupants, he hastened to help them out. And to assure Danae that he meant to be kind. Fear not, lady, he said. Naught shall harm thee in this peaceful island. But what fate drove thee to the bosom of this deep, frail boat? Did someone send thee thus at the mercy of the waters? He is worthy of the darkest shades of Tartarus who thus cruelly treats a noble lady. For I perceive that thou art noble, perchance the daughter of a king. I am Danae, the daughter of King Acretius, who has thus unjustly sent us from his lands. Good sir, I pray thee, let me come into my house. I will serve thee with diligence, for never yet has Danae eaten of the bread of idleness. We are old, and apt service will be sweet to old age. But as a daughter, and not as a servant, shall ye come, said the good Dictus. So Danae went to the home of Dictus, and full gladly she took up the spinning and weaving which the wife of the good fisherman had put aside because of her failing eyesight. And the little Perseus brought sunshine and gladness to all. Dictus was the brother of Polydectes, the king of the island. When the king saw the fair Danae, he desired her to come and live in a palace as his wife. But Danae did not love the king, and she knew full well that Perseus would be safer in the humble home of Dictus. So she refused to become the wife of Polydectus. This made him angry, and he began to dislike them both. But they were not harmed by his hatred until Perseus had grown to be strong and handsome as a youth. When he had grown up, Perseus won in all of the games and far exceeded the young men of the island in doing of brave deeds. In those days of long, long ago, the bravest youths of Hellas were sent into far countries to prove their courage and endurance. So this harkens back to a time when men were sent off to do brave things and then be welcomed back. One of the things that we've lost in our modern society is a rite of passage. And here is Perseus. Of course he's winning at all the games because he's a god. Or half-god. And that's kind of the luck of the draw, but that's not the point of what makes him great. What makes him great is his resolve. And he passes through his rite of passage from boyhood to manhood with that resolve. Perhaps you've experienced something in your life that felt like a rite of passage. Maybe you have been lucky enough to have gone through something like that. But you come out the other end as a stronger, better warrior. And that's part of the hero's journey every day. Facing challenges, overcoming them, and coming back home. Changed and new. Let's get back into the story. 
One of the great deeds which all of the young men longed to do was killing of the Gorgon Medusa. She lived far away in the peaceful island, but she was the dread of all sailors and fishermen, for oftentimes they were driven by adverse winds into her icy regions and were frozen into stone by the gaze of her cruel eyes. Polydectus planned a way to get rid of Perseus. He taunted him with cowardice in spite of the daring deeds which he had done, until Perseus declared that he would prove himself worthy by killing the Gorgon. Polydectus was glad, for he was sure that Perseus would never get back. One night, Perseus dreamt a strange dream. He saw a tall and stately lady with a shining face and a helmet upon her head. In her hands, she held a glittering aegis or shield. Perseus, she said, you desire to do a more daring deed than any Helen has yet attempted. Is your heart brave enough and your courage great enough that you dare to face a creature like this? As she spoke, Athena held up the shield on which a face so terrible that Perseus turned pale. The locks of the hair were writhing serpents, and out of the eyes glared such a look of hatred and misery that Perseus could scarcely believe that this was a picture of the once beautiful mortal, Medusa, who, because she had dared to compare her beauty and wisdom with that of Athena, had been doomed by the angry goddess to live in a faraway country with two dreadful gorgons as companions. Will you dare to meet Medusa, Perseus? Asked Athena. Try me, noble lady. I would rather die in a heroic act than remain like a horse bound by a halter. Then Athena gave him her shield, saying, You must look at the Medusa when you find her, else you will be turned to stone. But this is the aegis of an immortal, and you can look into it without harm. Hold it thus, and you can see the reflection of all that is below. In the land of Grey, you will find out where the Gorgons live. Fear not these aged sisters, but be wise and watchful. They only can tell thee. They have but one eye and their voices are hollow, and their forms unlovely. But be not alarmed by aught which they may say. I will be brave, said Perseus. But I pray thee, noble lady, how am I to cross the seas without a ship? I cannot build one, for Polydectus would not give me the smallest tree upon his hillside. Nor will this beautiful Aegis be of use unless there is somewhere a sword which shall match it in excellence. Thou art far-sighted as well as brave, Perseus, and dost deserve the best gifts of the gods. Then Perseus saw, standing beside Athena, a young man of noble countenance. In one hand he held a pair of winged sandals, and in the other a shining sword. Behold what Hermes has brought. These sandals will take you wherever you wish to go. And this sword can pierce even the metal of scales of Medusa. 
Fear not, but depart. When Perseus awoke, he found that the dream was not at all a dream, for there were sandals, harp, and an aegis. So we have a typical dream sequence here, where the world of your subconscious, unconscious mind becomes the reality of your everyday. And that's what you're doing here. Listening to the stories of the heroes to bring you wisdom and encouragement and guidance. As you continue on your warrior path so that you can wake up and go and slay the Gorgon Medusa that's in front of you. This is your reward. And it's also your magic shield, your winged sandals, and your sword. One of the things that's super noteworthy here is that declaration that Perseus made. He said that he would rather die a noble death than be cursed to live a life as a bridled horse. He understands that life is fleeting and it's better to live a life that you can be proud of than a long, healthy life filled with sorrow and tyranny. Perseus has a certain level of self-respect and sense of honor and courage and dignity. And he's not willing to live life without having those things. That is the warrior's path. And he says that to himself even while he's sleeping. And because he's that congruent with himself, the gods honor him. And that's where he wakes up, ready to go. Perseus lost no time in putting the precious sandals upon his feet and taking the harp. He started at once. He felt a strange lightness of body. He started to run, but found that he could float as easily as a bird. Faster and faster, he sped over the land and sea until the sunny hills of Hellas were far behind him and the dull, dark mountains of the north country rose before him. At the foot of one of these mountains, he found an ice-bound cave. Within, he heard the only sounds which broke the silence, the weird songs of the Grey Sisters. There, they sat, rocking to and fro and groaning a sad, sad song while they passed the eye from one another. At first, Perseus felt sad, but when he had heard their words of hatred towards the race of men, he snatched the eye and bade them to tell where the Gorgon lived. They were eager enough to get back their eye, so they told Perseus that the nymph of the Garden of Hesperides and the faraway land of Atlas would tell him what he wished to know. Perseus started at once for the land of Atlas, the Cyclops. It was guarded by a mighty mountain which rose far above the clouds. On the top was the unhappy giant whom Zeus had placed there to hold up the pillars of heaven. This was so great a task that Atlas had long since grown weary of it. When he found that Perseus was in quest of the Medusa, he begged him to return with it 
that he might gaze into its eyes and be turned into stone. Perseus promised to do what Atlas desired. He went down the mountain and into the beautiful, dreamy garden of Hesperides. Here he found a wonderful tree upon which hung golden apples. Beneath its richly laden bows were three of the fairest maidens Perseus had ever seen. Abashed at their beauty, but charmed by their sweet songs, Perseus drew near. Then he saw something which filled him with horror. For twinned round the nymphs and caressing them with its shining folds was a mighty serpent, its scales glistening in the sunlight with beautiful colors. Each scale had a pearly luster, and the serpent's eyes sparkled like diamonds. Honey was dripping into its mouth from a dish held by one of the nymphs. When the maidens saw Perseus, they put the serpent to sleep by magical spell, and they came forth to meet him. Who are you? And for what have you dared to come to the Garden of Hesperides? Are you Hercules, in quest for the golden apples? I come not for your apples of gold, fair maidens. I am searching for the Medusa. Tell me, I pray you, when I can find her. The nymphs sought to seek Perseus in the garden. Stay with us, they cried. Here winter never comes, and the power of Medusa is only a dream that has been half forgotten. When they found that Perseus would not give up in his great purpose, they wept and pleaded again in vain. They led him to a high cliff and pointed to the northward, and they gave him a helmet which had the power of making its wearer invisible. Perseus bade them farewell and sped on his journey to the heart of the far country where Medusa dwelt. So this is interesting because Perseus is on his mission and here it is, already his first challenge. He sees the most beautiful women he's ever seen, which is, of course, a a big distraction for a lot of people on their warrior path. He scoops in to check it out and they try to hold him back. They try to keep him from his path and he recognizes that. And even though they beg and plead with him, he still says no and he's gonna hold to it. And he makes a decision to go back and steer the right course. Him holding fast to his aim and not giving in actually turned out to be a blessing to him not just in so much as that he would continue on his path and accomplish his goals but furthermore that that resolve was honored by those around him the nymphs that initially intended to distract him and pull him into the garden for who knows how long respected him for maintaining his frame and keeping to it. And so he wound up getting something that would even further help him along his way. Let's keep going. As he neared the dreary shores, he put on his invisible helmet and rising high above in the air, 
He held the shield so that he could look into it. Far away, he saw a terrible creature tossing, restless, to and fro. Beside her, locked in deep slumber, were two sister gorgons. Perseus could not but feel sorry for the unhappy Medusa. But he wisely thought that so terrible an existence should end. So at this point, Perseus is flying around and he sees the situation lined up. In other versions of the tale, this battle is a lot more intense. It's got him ducking and dodging and meeting Medusa with a bow who's shooting arrows at him and turning other people into stone around him. But this one's a little bit more elegant and just goes into it. But try to imagine what he's thinking and feeling right now. Showing up and seeing a crazy looking creature surrounded by what would have been the corpses of other heroes trying to do the same thing that you're doing. But they're stone statues. Hundreds of frozen men in time holding weapons ready for battle being completely frozen into stone. It's got to be an eerie feeling walking among the remnants of those who have failed along the path that you were on. However, that didn't stop Perseus. It wasn't just because he had all these gifts from the gods. The gifts from the gods were given to him because of his absolute resolve. Just as on your path as a warrior, the universe will bend to your will and the gods will bestow you with gifts as you continue to push forward and reach your goals. In this version of the story, it's a little bit more elegant and quick the way that Perseus does it. So let's take a look. He drew near and struck boldly with the sword which Hermes had given him. Looking into his shield, he saw that the serpents had ceased to writhe and that he knew that Medusa was dead. He threw a goatskin over its head, put it into a bag, and flew towards Seraphos. Onwards, he rushed faster than ever. Stopping at the mountain of Atlas, he held up the Medusa at Atlas, and he gazed, and became the mighty mountain of stone. Seraphos was still far away, and on and on sped Perseus over the land and sea, past cloud-capped mountains and over the dreary desert wastes of Libya. One day, looking down on a dark cliff, he saw a white image. Perchance it's a god whom the barbarians worship. I will go and see, he thought. Perseus found that it was not a god, but a beautiful maiden whose fair hair streamed in the breeze. She stood upon a rock just above the waves. Her face was full of agony, and her white arms lifted above her head were chained to the rock. Perseus was filled with pity and indignation. He flashed down beside her, and when she had the noble youth, she begged him to loosen her bonds. Fear not, noble maiden, I, Perseus, will gladly help free you from these chains which the monster has forced upon your tender wrists. But who are you, and why are you here? I am Andromeda, she replied. Unhappy that I am. My mother, Cassiopeia, boasted of my beauty, and to punish her, 
Thetis sent me dreadful floods which laid waste to our fields. I am chained thus to appease the sea gods, and they will send a sea monster to devour me. Look, even now it comes. Perseus looked from the far face to Andromeda to the restless water. Her fear was not in vain, for there, coming rapidly towards them, was a great sea serpent, from whose wide jaws the water rushed in long lines of foam. Andromeda closed her eyes. When she opened them again, she saw only a long reef over which the waves were dashing angrily. Then Perseus cut the chains which bound Andromeda and led her back to her parents, who were filled with joy and readily consented when Perseus asked that he might take Andromeda back with him to his own country. It was a glad homecoming to Perseus and to Danae and to the good fishermen Polydectus had treated Danae unkindly during Perseus's absence. He had made her work like a servant in the palace, hoping thus to make her humble. Perseus rushed into the palace where Polydectes had bidden guests to a great feast. Standing in the doorway, he heard Polydectus tell with many a jeer how Perseus had gone forth to slay the Gorgon and had never returned. Ha, wretched king, thou art mistaken. Wouldst thou then see the Gorgon? Behold, here it is. Polydectus threw himself upon his knees and besought Perseus to spare him. But even then, while he was speaking, his body became rigid and cold. So Polydectus and his guests became a ring of stones, which are pointed out to this day on the faraway islands of Greece. So Perseus got his revenge, completed his mission, got a cool girlfriend out of the whole deal. And it's all because he just stuck to his path, just as you stick to your path. Continue on, warriors. Warriors.